For Champions of Growth, part of the ANA Podcast Network, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Empathy-based marketing has become a growing part of the conversation among brands looking to engage their audiences more effectively and humanely. But with an online-first marketing strategy, how do companies practice digital empathy? And how do you see the world through another person's eyes via an algorithm? Brian Solis, VP Global Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce, calls digital empathy the love language. It's the subject line in an email campaign, the tone of a social media message, or how humans program bots to speak with consumers in real time on their websites. It's delivering a more personal message rather than customizing an ad that checks off a bunch of preordained boxes. Solis is the best-selling author of several books, most recently, Lifescale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. He's been thinking a lot about digital empathy lately, how to define it, and what it means for marketers. He's one of my favorite people to speak to about marketing and advertising, and joins me now. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Rathi. What a, what a nice way to start. Brian, when I initially reached out to you about being a guest on Champions, I asked, what can we talk about that's of vital importance to CMOs and brand managers? And without hesitation, you said digital empathy. Why is this so critical and fast becoming core to marketing? It is the, it's probably the majority of my work right now is answering that question. If you look at what's happened in the last you know, two plus years, uh, when we shut down to become a digital first world, working from home, learning from home, shopping from home, everything from home. Uh, what that accelerated was probably a decade's worth of customer transitioning towards uh, the effects of digital. And what, as a digital anthropologist, uh, what that means is that everyone who uses digital, uh, whether it's social media, whether it's an app uh, to have food delivered, whether it is to play games, uh, you are transformed. Uh, your brain is literally rewired. There's a great documentary on Netflix uh, called The Social Dilemma that explains all of this. Uh, it's in my book, Life Scale as well. You just get wired to move faster, to be at the center of everything. You want convenience. You become incredibly impatient. And all of these aspects don't just live in the digital domain, they spill over into the real world. So why digital empathy is really important is that it's a leading indicator. It's a fast track to understand customer preferences and expectations, to then understand how to become a more relevant brand, how to deliver better customer experiences, uh, and then also how to start to anticipate and even predict what those preferences and expectations are going to be as these changes continue to evolve. At the risk of being reductionist, is digital empathy subordinating the algorithm to human-to-human -human interaction, albeit via an electronic platform? Yeah, I, I you know, before before COVID, I talked about the idea of the human algorithm as, as it, was, it was it was starting to change. So, for example, if you look at the traditional role of a CMO, many of those principles still apply. You need to make the brand relevant. You need to show you need that brand to show up in the places that a are, are reaching your desired customer in ways that they want to be reached. And you have to do so uh, relentlessly because w whether digital is a, is a key factor or not, it's always been clear that the attention economy has become more and more important as the number of channels that customers have access to open. Digital accelerated that, digital expanded all of that. Uh, and now what that means is this. So let's just, just take a step back. The customer's experience 
is the most important thing to a brand today. Because with digital also comes superpowers to the customer. They have the ability to research. They have access to peers and peer reviews and information. They have access to videos. They have access to more and more information than they've ever had before. They also have access to how other customers experience your brand. And that you, you can't market your way out of that. I mean, I'm sure you could try, but ultimately trust is the number one thing that our research continues to show that customers want from companies. They want trustworthiness. So when they can't trust a company, they trust their peers. Why is this important? Well, it all nets down to this. The CMO now has to become responsible for the customer's experience, not just one sliver of their experience. So to, to, to shape that brand, you have to shape how customers experience that brand so that as they share their experiences with their peers, you're essentially part of that collaborative definition of the brand and the brand through the brand's experience. And so this means a digital this means that media and advertising and marketing and email, customer service now have to all fall under the accountability of someone who's responsible for delivering that brand experience. And what does that say about transparency, which brands can sometimes be situational about? You know, it's, it's become since, since uh, 2020, trust and transparency have become the top things that customers expect or want from the brands that they're aligning with. In fact, uh, in our State of the Connected Customer uh, report, we found that over 61% of customers have stopped doing business with a brand whose values don't align with theirs. And you could bet that trust and transparency are part of that. And so uh, I'll give you an example. I just wrote a, a, a piece uh, that explored supply chain. Uh, not that this is going to, you know, be terribly uh, interesting to the to a CMO, but I'll make it interesting for them. Uh, in that supply chain issues, we all know are a big deal, and we continue to talk about it, and it's causing delays and what have you. And we you know, we probably all felt that pain. But it turns out that one of the most interesting things that has happened is when you use automation and AI to track the reality of these things, you can start to anticipate where there's going to be delays, and if you communicate those delays to the customer, they are actually more forgiving and more likely to stick with, with your, your business through these supply chain disruptions. And why that matters is it's because it's an example, it's a lesson in transparency. It's counterintuitive to controlling you know, the brand or controlling the messaging, but the more honest you are, the more people actually anticipate it because we live in a world where most most people and, and companies aren't honest or forthcoming. So yes, it's a, it's a very big deal. It's a brand attribute. Okay, and I want to get back to this uh, digital foundation. In establishing the foundation, is it important that brand directors not conflate empathy with with sympathy? Well, you know, it's 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 such a good point. It's hard to say that you're not your customer, but we're not. And that's where sympathy comes in is because we try to relate to maybe how the circumstances are. We know our customers are digital. We know they're mobile. Uh, we know that they have these certain expectations. We've developed personas. But look, 
all the things we're doing are rooted in sort of classical marketing strategies that we're trying to apply to new worlds. I'll just look at websites, for example. Websites are still stuck in the 1990s for the most part. Uh, you look at e-commerce, you know, they're, they're really just digital versions of, of print catalogs, two-dimensional stuff that you scroll through, not, not terribly you know, innovative after all of these years. When mobile devices became prominent following the launch of the iPhone in 2007, all we did was use adaptive strategies, design techniques to apply a website to work on a smaller screen. We didn't we didn't take like a TikTok-like approach to say what what would information look like on a new entirely new platform. So why that's important is that all of those are examples of the equivalent of digital sympathy. We put onto the customer the impression that we have of them. We we're not empathetic, so we don't understand them. One way to become empathetic is to live your brand like the customer. And in that work I've done with, for example, one of the largest retailers in, in the United States, uh, I was working on customer experience strategies with their leading marketers and uh, chief customer officers. And I asked, when's the last time you shopped online at your site? And when's the last time you shopped inside of your store? And none of them actually had, which was fascinating. So I gave them shopping lists uh, for online and in-store. And then we reported back on what those experiences were like. And because those, you know, every touch point isn't just about the traditional touch points that we think of with marketing. Every touch point now is what the customer touches that's related to your brand. I mean, that's literally the definition of customer experience. It's a sum of all engagements they have with your company. So why then empathy becomes important is that you feel it. With uh, Tony Shea and Zappos, when I used to work with, with him, may he rest in peace, was everybody had to work customer service so that you can understand how to deliver wow uh, and understand what, what, what the perspective looks like through the customer's eyes. So those things help you understand then how you become empathetic. So when you reimagine media advertising, if you think about what your social media strategy is, then you're actually speaking to it as a stakeholder and not as an executive. Uh, and that is the bias that most of us have is that we project onto customers our experience, our success, uh, our track record, our metrics, but they don't care about any of those things. And that's becoming truer, uh, especially the more digital they become. Okay. And this sort of plays into the next question. Since you mentioned that you know a lot of CMOs operate in this sort of vacuum, if you will, uh, when it comes to their brand. But uh, in our previous conversation, you had mentioned that digital empathy maybe uh, uh, requires CMOs, excuse me, to have an undercover boss moment. <laughs> what do you mean? That's sort of like what we talked about with the uh, the nat the retailer uh, where where I made them go shop uh, through those uh, those experiences because that undercover boss moment. If you you know, I know you've watched the show, but for those who are listening, you know it's it's a powerful show. It is a show that gives the gift of empathy through exposure. It is a force functioning mechanism of which the executive has to see what it's like to be their employee or what it's like to be their customer. And they will have an aha moment or an uh-oh moment that makes them want to change. And the ending of every episode is always the same, but it's always powerful. It's a goosebump moment where you watch that gift of empathy come to light and the power that it carries of how much 
sweeping transformation you're going to see, not just in how we relate to employees or customers, but how the business operates. Uh, and that's pretty powerful. So the undercover boss moment is finding force functioning opportunities to gain empathy in digital uh, and then to take those insights and apply them to the real world. And I know that's going to sound counterintuitive, Brian, but we do, you know, we do all these things in the physical world because, you know, when we're in the physical world, we're this sort of mindset, no way, no how. When you become digital, you carry that equal impatience that demanding, you become an accidental narcissist, you expect things to work around you, around your schedule. And so when you walk into a store, when you walk into a, a, a franchise, when you walk into a dealership, when you walk into any business, you bring that mindset to that scenario. So the principles, for example, of user experience design, user interface design also now apply to the real world. All of those are new touch points for branding and marketing and experience design. So long story short, that undercover boss moment is supposed to get you to see if I had to create my brand, my brand experience in 2022, 2023, 2025, what would it look like? Because right now what I'm doing is that I'm adapting my 2019 brand to an entirely new world. Uh, it, it all smacks of uh, this chronic problem that we, uh, we always talk about, which is this fetish, if you will, for among CMOs and marketers to look from the outside in via their customers rather than the inside out. Now, having said that, does digital empathy also require perhaps some reverse engineering with CMOs asking, what if customers put together an RFP, request for a proposal for our brand, what would it look like? Is that the kind of thing CMOs need to do, need to be doing more frequently? <laughs> yes. I, uh, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. I was, I was working on a piece that uh, explored what all of the th things that aren't in an RFP uh, that need to be in an RFP uh, so that there could be that undercover boss moment or that aha moment that get CMOs or CDOs or whomever wants to own the customer experience uh, thinking differently. Because I understand that, you know, we have ways of working and we have things we need to accomplish. But I think sometimes we get stuck in that vacuum where we're not looking at the things that we don't know. Uh, so therefore we don't ask for the help. You look at some of the interesting trends that we're watching now, like Unilever uh, changing the, the idea of what the CMO role is at the organization. I believe L'Oreal just did the same thing and sort of reimagining then this integration between digital and physical across brand, across functions that define that brand and reimagining marketing as customer experience and understanding that therefore, if all of these things are touch points, we don't have a brand style guide for that. You know, nobody, nobody in customer service is reading uh, what, what the brand style guide is or somebody in, in, uh, in retail or what have you. So what I actually think this creates is the need for a, a, an experience style guide. You know, what are the aspects of the experience that are supposed to define and shape the brand? And remember that the word experience is just simply an emotional reaction to something. Right. And, and, and advertisers and marketers know that best. We've always been trying to, to, to generate a, an emotional reaction to something. But in this case, literally, you're defining or helping to shape the experience you want someone to have so that it complements the idea that they're supposed to feel and have when they recall the brand. 
And that then is a powerful opportunity to reimagine then the RFP for brand experience, for customer experience, for user experience, all all just reimagining or intentionally reimagining how someone should experience the brand in every touch point and then how that should all add up to the brand experience and, the, and ultimately the brand promise that we're defining. Is digital empathy predicated on breaking down the silos, which we've been talking about till we're blue in the face? Is, I mean, is this a, a potential harbinger for really starting to collapse the silos, which again, we've been talking about seems like for several years now, if not decades, and it's really not happening. Is this a potential path? I hope so. Let's go back to that definition of, of, of customer experience. And for for the context of like what drives my work, I always add an apostrophe S to that, so that it's the customer's experience. And I use that as a as a as a little exercise in shifting my mindset that it's theirs. It's not what I put out for them. It's how they experience it. Is that's that's what that's what counts. And to your point, the silos are not anything that they should ever see, yet they do. They talk to service, they talk about market, they talk, you know, talk to marketing, email, web, even marketing is siloed. You know, that they, they see that and they don't want to see that. In our own research, we find in consistently that they want integration between all of these things. They want data to be shared across all of these functions. And in our latest report of the State of the Connected Customer, 88% of customers said that the experience a brand provides is as important as products and services. And I think the 12% on, on the other side of it didn't understand the question because probably 100% would have, would have said that that is important. So what does that mean? Well, look on the other side of it. I'm pretty sure we've all had conversations with the the web team trying to get a change on on a website or the email team or the loyalty team. Every single one of those are its own fiefdoms and they're guarded just with with all of their might and budgets mm-hmm. don't don't cross over any of these things. Yet we're all talking about the one the customer's experience. And so we're actually part of the problem. And the reason we don't do anything about this is because we have egos and we have politics and we have survivalist tactics that we're trying to use within the organization. But if anybody cares about the customer, and this is a leadership thing, if you truly want to be customer centric, if you truly want to be successful in this post-pandemic economy, it's not a function of breaking down the silos. It's a function of uniting around the customer. That's a different prospect than it is trying to in embark on a change management program. It's about uniting the customer's experience and then bringing together the functions and the data and the metrics that then demonstrate how are we doing. We now take a break for a brief message regarding Marketing Futures, which is part of the ANA Podcast Network. The ANA Marketing Futures Podcast provides a deep dive on the future of the marketing and business sectors. Whether it's artificial intelligence, deep fakes, or the metaverse, the podcast demystifies emerging trends shares unique perspectives, and breaks down critical economic issues relevant to marketers. Hosted by Mike Berberich, Senior Director, Content Strategy and Marketing Futures at the ANA, the podcast is required listening for CMOs and senior marketers who are thinking ahead of the pack and bracing for what's shaping up to be profound changes in marketing communications. For more information, please visit ana.com 
net slash podcasts. And now back to our show. Brian, for digital empathy to work, do CMOs need to jettison traditional forms of online marketing? And if so, to what degree? And does that go for reconfiguring their budgets as well? I'm sure that there are marketers who will say that they've found the secret sauce or the special ingredients to be successful in what they're doing, especially in, you know, in, in growth hacking and, and growth marketing. I don't want to take away from, from that. What I will say is this, who's the customer? Who are they becoming? How are they influenced? How do they influence others? What are their expectations? What do they value? And what are the best experiences that they will tell you that they have, even and especially if it's outside of your industry? And then compare that to all of the things that you are doing today. And the reason I say that is because when I do this work, I uncover some of the greatest gaps. Uh, what I call them experience divides. Things that we think we're doing and things that we could be doing better or differently. And this leads to marketing iteration, so improving or fixing what's broken, and innovation to creating what doesn't exist, creating that new value. And this is where that conversation always needs to start, is that we are measuring things and we could be measuring better things uh, as they relate to the customer's experience. Okay, and measurement is always the elephant in the room when it comes to marketing. What are the new, new data sets that will help to inform a better customer experience and more tangible returns under this scope, if you will, of digital empathy? Well, let's assume that marketing is bigger than just any one of its functions, right? So let's get some more macro data sets out there. What is the experience that we're supposed to provide? And most companies can't answer that because there's no experience style guide, right? There's a brand style guide. And so there's the minute you what the minute you go through this exercise of defining what the brand experience should be, you can then measure against what customers are experiencing, and 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 you can do that in any one facet. But you you have to take the average of those facets. So, service, uh, email, website, in store if that if that applies, uh, and you take the little pieces and then you add them all up. Are we in alignment? with what we promised our brand experience would be. That metric actually needs to exist. Then you could take the subsets. One of the more prominent ones that's being used right now by elite marketers is the integration between marketing and service because service is proven to be the Achilles heel of any brand most of the time. And it is the one that is leading to retention issues. Uh, and in a time where uh, loyalty is up for grabs, you can't afford to do this. Uh, and so customer effort is becoming a huge metric. How hard is it to solve a problem or get support? Uh, and if you can ease that, people are more likely not to leave, uh, as, as one example. Quick follow-up. Are we on the cusp of loyalty programs losing their luster in which CMOs might have to sort of reinvent the notion of loyalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, every aspect from email to uh, to to loyalty 
to advertising and where advertising hits, all of that has to be reimagined. Uh, I, I call this loyalty 2.0 because the customer is actually saying right now is that, hey, you know, yes, loyalty programs are important to them. They're more likely to stay with your brand if if you do have a loyalty program, but it's not yesterday's loyalty program. It is about uh, transparency. It's about unlocking uh, exclusive opportunities that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. It's about having automation introduced that reminds them of certain opportunities that they can use to translate that loyalty program into action or outcomes. Otherwise, they'll just forget about it. It is also uh, just just to open the door here, an area where we're actually seeing NFTs successfully experimented with, where they become the token that gives you access to these these exclusive experiences uh, in real life and products and opportunities and offers. So the more this comes back to that accidental narcissist bit, like the more that people feel like they're valued by your organization, the loyalty program can be designed around that to be super effective. And artificial intelligence, AI, of course, is increasingly driving things online. So how does AI relate to digital empathy? And what are the most effective ways for CMOs to derive value from AI and machine learning? I, I've been talking about this in a way that humanizes what we're about to discuss, because I, I, I could promise you that the most the biggest mistakes that marketers make here is thinking that AI is the solution. It is an enabler to something else. Uh, and, and look, honestly, the same is true for every organization. Every technology has been used to scale and automate away from the customer. And that's not been a good mm-hmm. thing. It's, 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 you know, led to cost reductions and scale and what have you, but the customer wants you know, look at the end of the day, especially in our, our state of the service report, you know, when, when we ask, you know, customers, how do you feel about IVRs or contact centers or all of those things? And so I just want to talk to somebody and I just want to talk to one person. I just want to get something solved. And, 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 oh, but that's so expensive. We can't scale that. And so this is where AI and chatbots can actually come in to deliver a digital human experience. So I'm going to come back to that. But first, the humanization of this is really important. It's to understand that digital creates a different frame of mind. You become not just more impatient, you're you're fragmented in your thinking. Uh, picture, if you will, how many tabs you have open on your browser at any one moment, right? Like that, how many times you multitask in a day, how many times you reach for a, your phone in a day. All of these things create the state of like internal chaos the customer doesn't even realize is, that exists. So the more that you could deliver a reprieve, some delight in this, uh, some surprise. These things stick well beyond you could imagine because they don't expect it. Now, I say this because I was moved by a, a, a book called The Five Love Languages. And I realized that, you know, the premise of the book was about, you know, when you express love and someone here's love, they're not always on the same page. So how someone expresses it and how someone needs to receive it is the art of marketing, the way that Mm -hmm. I interpreted it, this, uh, the art of experience. So you have to change how you're expressing it in order for someone to receive it in a way that they value. And realize that with the fragmentation and the, the constant chaos that digital creates in someone's life, for better or worse, Uh, that digital itself is a love language, that 
Digital empathy is the love language, understanding that person and then communicating to them in a way that's going to be received is super powerful. The reason I wanted to set that stage is it changes everything from a subject line to what's in an email to what's, uh, you know, how you market on TikTok or Instagram uh, or what brand means or how you communicate in general and what kind of content you create, how someone searches for some, an answer to a question and where you show up in that, in that discovery process. So then digital empathy as a love language dictates to you how artificial intelligence and automation can be deployed in ways that are going to deliver a better experience. So AI can be used for personalization in, in engagement, but the way that a marketer thinks about personalization is I need to customize my offer to the way that somebody wants to receive. When a customer defines personalization, it's personal. They want you to know who they are. They're willing to share more data with you. They'll share intimate details with you. If they know that they're going to get a personal experience, which means they know your size, they know your taste, they know your preferences, they know where you, what stage you are in raising a child, you know, all of those things. Uh, well, that's too creepy, Brian. We don't want to, you know, customers don't want us to know all those things. Yes, they do. Every year, all the reports say that they will give you that data if you're going to give a more personal experience to them. And, and that doesn't mean give me a new dialogue box just because you want to connect, collect more cookies, communicate with me in that moment that you want this for this. Like it's an, it's an opportunity for transparency. So AI can be used to deliver a more personal experience. It could be used for a customer service agent to have a, a, a real-time script analysis to then find ways to deliver better value to the customer based on patterns that have been happening uh, before. Uh, it could be used, for example, in uh, chatbots or, or, or digital humans, like with soul machines, where you're talking to a digital human, <laughs> but the AI is powers, powered by conversational intelligence. And because it knows your data or your history, that it can help you have a conversation, not like a traditional chatbot where it's if this, then that, you know, uh, and, and, and you ultimately need to talk to a human being anyway. So it's, a, it's powering a more personal experience that's pleasant and has to be designed as such, not put on top of existing processes and mindsets to deliver a very clunky yesterday-like experience. Okay. And Brian, you really did that well. And you brought the conversation full circle because I think what you just mentioned and all the uh, examples you provided comes back to my original thesis, which is empathy is seeing the world through another person's eyes. It's seeing, seeing the world through a stranger's eyes. And I think you really wrap that up really nicely. But last question is, I'd like you to point to some of the leading examples of digital empathy in the marketplace right now. Perhaps companies you know of that are really tangibly putting this out there, doing it methodically, and providing potential models for other companies. Right. So what I'll do is I'm not, I'm not going to share brands because when I do that, I get, I, I get a lot of get into trouble. Uh, okay. I get into trouble, <laughs> but what I will share are the best practices. I'll, I'll cite some research that I helped lead with Harvard business review, uh, where we looked at this idea of becoming a customer 360 company. And the definition of that is having a single view of your customer across the organization. And why that's important is because that's going to include things like service, commerce, marketing. And if you, if you think about what we talked about earlier, I can't emphasize this enough, the best companies are putting someone who's accountable for that integration. And that could be the CMO or whatever you want to call it. Someone has to be 
accountable for the customer's experience. And the most elite companies that are doing this are starting with either marketing and service. So they're sharing metrics, they're sharing data sets. And the more, even more elite are folding commerce into that. Those three critical pillars. So they're sharing metrics, data, and functions so that they operate as one entity under a chief experience, a chief marketing, a chief digital officer, whatever, whatever that role is. So that's the, the, the first thing that they're doing. And the reason why that's the biggest opportunity is that in that HBR research, we found that only 15% of companies around the world have a single view of their customer and the operational capacity to execute against the, those 360 insights. So as you can see, there's a lot of a lot of work. And the, the other thing I want to share is that the leading companies are this are defining customer experience on two sides. Insights, so again, 360 if you could get it, and engagement, insight-powered engagement for consumers. Right. And so that means that those two sides are, are what the best companies in the world are prioritizing. And most companies, according to that HBR research, uh, show that they are not good at both of those things. So this is another area of big development. And so this is a force functioning device to break down those silos just because they don't work in this regard. And there's no political, there's no survivalist methodologies necessary when all you're trying to do is create a single customer experience because that's 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 the competitive advantage. And then lastly what they're starting to do is they're making the case for the C-suite that shows that this is an investment not a cost center. So they're changing the narrative of this transformation. And in the Harvard Business Review research, you could just you could you could google it, uh, just my name Harvard Business Research uh, C360 uh, you should be able to find a direct link to it. In that report, I talk about companies that are doing this extremely well, and they're sharing their stories. Uh, and one of those stories is specifically about the narrative. And this is a big deal. It's that undercover boss moment. If the C-suite has not had the undercover boss moment, you need to give it to them. And the only way for them to feel what the customer feels is when you tell the story of how it's failing or create some sense of urgency or some fire that they'll see and relate like they did. They had no idea because they're, they're not their customer. How do we fix this? What do we do? And then they're adding one last thing, which is what that return on that investment can look like short-term and long-term. Uh, I've brought in venture capitalists. I've brought in uh, finance uh, experts to help create that narrative because it's not necessarily something we all have in our back pocket because we're changing the idea of what a metric needs to be and what a return can look like. And I, everything I learned is from the world of startups. These, these are companies that had to show that they could return hundreds or thousands of percent on any investment for markets that don't exist. Okay, thank you for that very sagely and methodical advice for, for CMOs moving forward. I think two major takeaways here are, are to Google Brian Solis and Harvard Business Review, and also maybe take a look at your uh, neighborly startups and what they're doing. Uh, Brian, the lightning round. For our lightning round question, uh, one pointed question here, which is what is the biggest challenge facing CMOs right now? Their own egos and their own bias of what they think the role of the CMO is and also the role of the customer in their success. 
Okay, and we'll have to leave it there. To learn more about digital empathy and collect some key insights regarding digital transformation, innovation, and disruption, please go to briansolis.com. And a big thanks to Brian, VP Global Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce. For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Until next time, thanks for listening.